0: All right, all right. Good morning, church. If you guys want to come on in and go ahead and take your seat, we'll get this party started. And like I said, this is kind of tough to break up these conversations. I know a lot of you guys are catching up. It's the first time you've seen each other in a really long time. And to all the new faces that are new for the first time in a long time, again, just welcome. I'm glad that you guys are back. And I hope you have a great time catching up with old friends and things of that nature. If you've not had a chance to visit the photo booth uh, out in the front door there, uh, we wanted to give you guys an opportunity to commemorate the 30th anniversary, to remember God's faithfulness in this church. And so Brian and Jeff and I had a little fun with it as the guy was getting here this morning. And so you're welcome there. Um, if you're forgetting your green today, since today's St. Patty's Day, uh, they even have a little things right there so you don't get in trouble with the family. So that is right outside the front doors there, and I hope that you guys have a chance to do uh, that. But as I said before, a lot of you are, are relatively new in the past year or two and had no idea that we were a 30-year-old church. And and uh, that's what we are doing today. Praise God for what he's been doing over the past 30 years ago. Our first church service was Easter Sunday, 1989. Easter Sunday, 1989, John Needer and a group of families From this area, we're in the ambassadors class at Northwest Bible Church, which has been a faithful church in our community for a long time, and sending people out uh, in missional endeavors over the course of their their history here. And John Nieder uh, began praying with a bunch of families in the church about what God may have with this community, and very shortly after, they came together and started Family Life Bible Church. And uh, long after that, they began um, they began meeting over here at Spring Valley and the Tollway. Uh, In 1993, they began gathering, and John had a very famous uh, radio show at the time. And so he was doing most of the teaching on a part-time capacity. And about 1993, the elders and leadership of the church came together and decided, hey, we need to start moving. We need to be looking for a full-time vocational pastor here. And uh, that search led to Pastor Hal Habecker that we get to enjoy today. Uh, Shortly after that, in 1994, uh, the name of the church changed from Family Life Bible Church to Dallas Bible Church. Hal, in his great infinite wisdom, was able to see forward and see that that was going to be the most Googleable name in the history of churches in Dallas and stuff. And so, knowing that w- the internet was to come, <laughs> right, but like that, uh, we, we, we changed to Dallas Bible Church in 1994. And uh, shortly after that, in 1999, the church just kept growing and growing and growing from Spring Valley and the Tollway. Uh, we purchased this land and this this, this uh, facility right here from Prestonwood Baptist Church. Uh, we had our very first service here, I believe it was Thanksgiving of 1999. Uh, real quick, if you guys are here, I, uh, how many of you guys were here at that time? Uh, I knew, look at that. I love seeing that. That is fantastic. I know we had, can we just give it up for them, church? Real quick, let me ask you this. Is anybody here from 89 to 90 I know we had some. Bill, you were here in the 89, 90. Anybody else there the early? I know the first service had a lot more people that were here kind of at the very beginning. But can we just say thank you to, you, to everybody that was here, laying the foundations of that? <laughs> Incredible thing. So 1999, we moved into here, 2004. Dallas Bible Church was able to plant our first church with Allen Bible Church and Buddy Lyles. They were able to send out, and many of you guys remember that. You know the Buddy was a faithful member of the church staff here doing young adult ministry, associate pastor, discipleship, the catch-all, everything, Brian Rattleball-type pastor on staff that does everything here at the church, and uh, we passed, sent him out in 2004, and many of you guys were a part of that, and and it's just been a story of God's continued faithfulness uh, over the years at Dallas Bible Church. And uh, that's brought us up until 2014. In 2014, uh, Pastor Howe began uh, thinking about his transition and what was going to be next in him when God had given him a burden to develop a brand new ministry called Finishing Well. Isn't that a beautiful name? Finishing Well an entire ministry dedicated to helping older generation think about retirement through a def- different lens and understanding that retirement uh, doesn't mean that your purpose has ended. It just means that it's simply transitioned. And, and so his entire ministry, for, and he's going to be telling us a quite a bit about that, uh, in our time here together, but a beautiful thing. A couple things I just wanted to share with you and just brag on Hal and Vicky and what their influence here over the years at Dallas Bible Church. When I first started in 2015, and I came in and started learning a little bit about the church and who we were and what the history's been around here and things of that nature. And there's two things that really stood out to me at the very beginning. Number one was everybody that I talked to said that this is a loving family. This is a family uh, of believers, and we think about each other like family. And I began to just think about that and just see uh, Hal and Vicky's marks all over the, the, the course of this church throughout our time together. One of my favorite things about Hal, easily one of the most affectionate and loving human beings you'll ever meet. Uh, he is the person that will give you the big giant hug. He is the person that will come love you in your time of grief. He's the one that will mourn with you and rejoice with you. And we saw those fingerprints all over the, the entirety of this church. Uh, when we came in, it was a little intimidating and stuff, and, and uh, the, many of you who were here at that time, you reached out, you welcomed our family, you brought us in, you cooked us meals, there was love, there was encouragement, uh, and this has largely been a very, very drama-free church, which of course I'm very, very grateful for, and, um, but it's a testament, it's a testament to um, the marks of what God has been doing in Hal and Vicki on a personal level, overflowing and the impact that they've had. Uh, in our life of our church over the past 22 23 years of the vocational ministry here at DBC that is exactly who they are and we're seeing that marked as in the DNA of this church body. The other thing that I quickly discovered was that this is a church that loves the missions and loves to send people out and understands the mission of God. Hence, uh, Pastor Hal's new ministry today, Finishing Well. It's continuing into the mission of God, but we saw this, and if you were with us a few months ago um, as we were celebrating our World Missions Conference, you got to see we are continuing to support over 25 missionaries that were that have all come up through Dallas Bible Church. They were members here, participated here, and over the course of time, we've been able to send them out fun little story today we talked about Abby Weaver back at World Passion or uh, the World Missions Conference if, uh, about 6 weeks ago Abby Weaver was born and raised in this church body today is actually her last Sunday with us as we 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 sent her out back at the World Missions Conference but today's her last Sunday as she heads out to Germany to begin uh, her new ministry with uh, with Young Life International there. Uh, what a great way to celebrate God's 30 years of faithfully working in and through this church body is to see somebody come up through the preschool ministry and sent back out, which is exactly what it is about. It is all, every single man, woman, and child understanding the unique purpose that God has created you for, engaging the mission of God wherever that mission may lead you. Maybe that's on your street, maybe it's in your workplace, maybe it's here in Dallas, Texas, or maybe it's somewhere else around the world. World. But doing that, it is loving all and is helping all follow Jesus. And so today, um, that mission continues. Uh, we talked about this around the new year. In 2014, they began a, a brand new endeavor to create some children's ministry classroom space here, which would uh, welcome in all the new families that were moving into our neighborhood. Uh, we were able to do that, and we made a promise to the church that we would be debt-free in five years. Uh, in January, we got to celebrate that together a little bit early, and we got to announce to the entire church that we're debt-free, and uh although, and as I say, that debt-free was never the end goal. Debt-free is simply a means to accomplishing the mission that God has given every single one of us, and we've talked about that mission continuing through the hop, continuing into the future here as we go into church planting endeavors, a mission-integrated preschool over there, um, and Hispanic outreach in the immediate community all around us here, and so, as I look back at today, I'm hoping and praying that you'll just get a taste of the faithfulness of God. He didn't begin working today. He didn't begin working yesterday. He didn't begin working 30 years ago. He didn't even begin working 1,000 so years ago. He is a faithful God, and he's been faithful from the very beginning. And um, that's what we're here to celebrate today. And so with all of that said, it gives me an incredible amount of joy to be able to introduce you guys uh, to uh, Pastor Hal Haabecker. Will you guys help me in wel- welcoming him today?
1: I love you too. Amen. Amen.
2: This is amazing. Thank you, Aaron and Kat. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord all these years. And we're going to be speaking about that. Vicki and I are honored to be back here and share in this worship service. We've got so many memories here, Uh, zillions of memories. And I think of all the memories y'all have yet to come. There's a little poem written by Robert Browning that I love to quote in our ministry, Finishing Well Ministries. Robert Browning wrote, Grow old along with me, the best is yet to be, the last of life for which the first was made. Our times are in his hands, who saith, A whole I planned. Youth shows but half. Trust God, see all, nor be afraid. So we're a young church, 30 years old, but we have a lot of decades to go. So let's grow with the Lord and all that he has for us. And my prayers are, Vicki's and my prayers are with y'all, and Aaron and Kat and the staff and the elders, and I'm just excited. You know, I could just stop here and go down, Robert, just, I see all these people here who are part of my life, and uh, the Lord bless you and keep you in every way. If you're not quite, uh, so, uh, really up to date with Finishing Well Ministries, there are a few brochures on that side and out front by the desk, I encourage you to pick them up and pray for us. Today, I want to talk about a few things, uh, let me start with a moment just on the history Of our church a few things I got to share Aaron you got a great you you understand the history you know it well Uh, you know Alexander Solzhenitsyn has a great phrase that I've always enjoyed Uh, forget the past and you lose one eye dwell in the past you lose both eyes you know we're never about the past although the past is important because we all stand on the shoulders of somebody else we are not self-made people But as Browning and the Scriptures say, the best is yet to be. Uh, Just a few thoughts about the history of DBC as I stand here. Uh, I think of Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem has played a vital part in the life of this church. We started in their rented facilities. In fact, Vicki and I were there on that very first Easter Sunday, along with Stephen Wendy Howard in 1989. And then when we renovated this whole inside of this building, we met in Baruch Hashem for the entire summer, June, July, and August, before we moved back in September. We owe a lot to them. We owe a lot to all other people in, in our pathway. I mean, God uses other people in our lives all the time. We are not self-made people. Unless God does it, it doesn't happen. Uh, <clears throat> You talked about the mission outreach of DBC. Just, I mean, I pray it will continue with your mission and the mission of DBC. It's going to be a different mission, but it's always going to be an outreach mission. I think of uh, Bruce and Catherine who started a mission agency called Levada out of this ministry. I remember being in here in the old sanctuary, before we ever moved in here, we had the old stage, it was back there, the church was reversed, and we didn't want people coming into the front of the sanctuary, so we reversed everything. Uh, You know, they started this mission to Romania, which continues out of that, and there are people who grew up in this church who are in Romania today. I think of Kyle Martin, Kyle and Laura on uh, Revive. Uh, You know, Kyle was on staff here, he came to here as a first year uh, seminary. And he grew up in this church physically. We support and encourage them, and they are now leading a worldwide ministry on revival. You know, it's just just fascinating. God wants to use our lives to reach the world for Christ. It's incredible. As I stand here, I cannot help but think of people uh, whose lives uh, they went to be with the Lord out of this congregation. That'll happen here. I think of Karen Forsyth, I don't know that uh, anyone's here, uh, just a, a woman who marked my life. Uh, she was on a mission trip with DBC, uh, I guess back in 95, I think, and had a cough and developed, but came to the realization she had lung cancer. I will never forget her life. I think of Kim Roberts, and the playground is named after her. These are people who have marked my life in a very profound way. I will never, ever, ever be the same. I will never, ever be the same for what happened in my decades here. Uh, to God be the glory, and you have had a great part of my life. So thank you, and I could go on and on, but that's not why I'm here. I'm, I'm here today to point you to Jesus. Uh, if I had a title of the sermon, I'm going to preach two sermons in the next 30 minutes. I won't go over, I promise. Uh, <clears throat> it's all about Jesus, it is all about Jesus he is why we are here this morning he is why you're sitting next to somebody you know it's amazing to me how God opens doors just in the course of our lives all the time about how God works and uh, it, it's all about him and I want to give you a couple verses that are hallmark, hallmark verses in my life that point to Jesus and explain who he is and what he's about by the way I trusted him a lot of new people here. I trusted him at the age of six, and for almost six decades now, he has led me and led my wife and I and our family, and I pray would pray that that would be your testimony as well. There's never a day, there's never a year goes by, but what God is not in charge of your life, leading you and me through the Holy Spirit. Remember Browning's phrase, the best is yet to be. Uh, a couple of verses, 2 Corinthians 2 14. But thanks be to God, who always, you always feel victorious, some days are not, but God is always working, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through our lives the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. You know, Paul writes this verse as a Roman citizen. Rome was marked by conquering a conquering military they had a incredibly large empire that reached the whole way up to Great Britain south and east and when their military commanders would have victories they would bring the entire army all that they had gotten all the riches that they had gotten off a conquered people and then they would bring all the slaves that they would had conquered from these lands back to Rome and they would be servants throughout the kingdom of uh, the empire of Rome and the military leader would lead it. He would be backed by his army. Then you'd have the slaves. And throughout the entire parade, there were priests and uh, offerings to the Roman gods. And there was a sense, a sense that you could smell about the parade and the conquering victory that the Roman Empire leaders had won for that city. So if you were a Roman citizen, you'd be watching this parade go by and you'd sense the aroma of their worship to pagan gods and see what great stuff they had done. Paul has that in mind on this verse. He pictures Jesus as the head of the military of the conquering army of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, he said. The church will grow and expand all over the world. He leads us in triumph in Christ. He does it through Jesus' work in our lives, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and with us goes the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in every place. That's what touches people. It's the love of Christ. It's the love that sent him to the cross to die in our place for my sin, and his redemption is mine, and he leads my parade and as I identify with him and his spirit works within me, there is the aroma of the knowledge of him that permeates a church, that permeates a community, that permeates a nation, and permeates wherever the gospel goes. A couple other verses, 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, and such confidence we have through Christ towards God, not that we consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from him. You know, whatever gifts you have, whatever God has done in your life, whatever platform he has given you, whatever family he has placed you into, it is all about him. Paul cries out in Philippians 3, verse 14, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. We have nothing without him. I think of 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It's not on your list here, I don't think. What do you have that you've not received? And if you've received it, why do you act as if it's yours? It's all of God. God gives me my gifts. He gives you your gifts. He gives us the the gift of salvation through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, restores us as spiritual citizens of a heavenly kingdom, gives us his Holy Spirit, and we are about his business in the world, which is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the mission of God to extend his kingdom to every part of this world through us as his gift to us. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing power may be of God, not of us. You know, it's crazy to think about. A lot of young people here, you don't want to think about this, but there will come a time when your body will start to decline. Ugh. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians four sixteen. therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are what? They're eternal. God is working through our lives. We come into this world with nothing, and we'll leave this world with nothing. And in the meantime, we think we got it all together. We think we are self-made people. No, we're not. We are made in the image of Christ. And that's perhaps the most compelling verse to me, Romans eight twenty nine, For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That is that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You and I are on a journey to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are being transformed into the image of Christ as young parents right before our kids growing up. We are being transformed into the image of Christ even as our grandkids are growing up watching us and our adult kids are watching us. They all watch us. That is our mission in life. God is conforming us to the image of his son day by day. And there's not a day goes by that what I don't have the opportunity and the need and the desperation which we sang about to be more conformed to the image of his son vicki and i need that in our marriage to mirror the love of christ with each other for our kids for our grandkids and all the others god has placed in her life i love that statement by leon morris stumbling across it preaching on through through romans here at dbc years ago morris said it's god's plan that his people become like his son not that they should muddle along in a modest respectability is your goal to be respectably a christian Or is your goal to go for the gold and be everything that God wants you to be in his life? Will you submit your life to his will? J.I. Packer, who I had the privilege of studying under a few years ago, teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians, wrote a book entitled Finishing Well. At the age of 95, having lost most of his eyesight, with macular degeneration, he says my goal is not to just barely make it to the finish line. I want to go across the finish line with everything that I have in me, and I want to finish the fight. I want to complete the course, and I want to do everything that God has for me here. I fought the good fight. I finished the course, and I've kept the faith. That's the mission that we all have. None of us know when our last day is going to be in this life. Hopefully it'll be long, but it may not. But whatever day it is, I want to finish well for the glory of God. Just like J.I. Packer, just like the people in Scripture, just like God's plan is for every person sitting here this morning. You believe that? Say amen. Amen. Say it better. Amen. Amen. That's why we're here. That's why Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and what you're going through as you suffer in this life being conformed to him and the power of his resurrection, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain from the resurrection of the Lord. We live every day dying to self, dying to sin, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, putting off the old man, being filled with the Spirit of God for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus every day. Which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. That ought to be our mission to every person around us, all of our kids, all of our grandkids, all of our peers, everybody around us. That is God's mission for us. Uh, it happens to be a special day today. Uh, you have what color on? I don't wish I knew your name. What's your name? Scott. Scott, Scott has what? Stand up so everybody can see your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it is green. What, col- what is today? It's St. Patrick's Day. Now, St. Patrick happens to be one of my heroes. He has written a prayer, which I want to quote, I want to read it for you here. Uh, A lot of people don't know about St. Patrick. Let me just tell you a minute's worth about him. He was born in Great Britain in the 5th century. He, He came to know Christ as a young teenager. I saw Cameron sitting here in this morning, you know, in the first service. You know, what God does with us in our youth is terribly, terribly important. We'll talk about that in Joseph in a little bit as well. But St. Patrick was, uh, he came to trust Christ at an early age in Great Britain, was taken captive as a slave over to Ireland by some marauding uh, Irish people. And he grew up there, and he saw the importance of trusting God with his life, even though he was a captive. And he knew God was in charge of him. And he writes this prayer while he was a captive in in Ireland under, this, under these people. He was able to escape later and go back to Great Britain to be with his family, but he felt compelled by God to go back to Ireland to win people to Christ. And by the way, you know, the, the, uh, the shamrock is always associated with St. Patrick. You know why? Because it's his illustration to teach the power of the triune God. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. They're all working together for his purposes and he went back against the wishes of his family and everybody to reach Ireland for Christ and several people still to this day and there's good grounds for it. Think St. Patrick saved the West because Ireland developed as a theological sphere of people who trusted God and maybe even had a lot to do with discovering the new world. But I love this prayer by St. Patrick. It, it, It exudes being in Christ. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, the eye of everyone who sees me, and the ear of everyone who hears me. You know, do I exude the power of Jesus Christ in my life? Do you, in your home, in your place of work, with your friends, is it about Jesus, is he the compelling force of your life? I pray that he is. I mean, that's my mission. That's Vicky's mission. In our home, with our kids, with our grandkids, with our peers, wherever we go, with our new ministry, encouraging older people to finish well for the sake and glory of Christ. That is our mission on earth. Do you believe that? Say amen again. Amen. 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 Say it better. Amen. I love it. Now, a couple thoughts on this. Uh, If I really believe this, then I live a life of dependence. I don't live a life of independence. My goal in life is to be dependent not only on Jesus, but to live with a sense of dependency on others around us. I mean, I just try it on in your marriage. Do you live dependently on your spouse? Do you need that person? Do you need their spiritual input? Do you need their encouragement? Do you need their help? Do you listen to them? Did I say that? Uh, I do, really. Uh, Do we need each other? Do we yield to each other? Not only is dependence a word, weakness is a word. People who are strong and independent don't like being weak. What did the Apostle Paul say? It's in our weakness we are what? Strong. Why do we as a culture resist weakness? Why do we as Christians resist weakness? We are weak with each other. When none of us all have our act together. We all need somebody. And we are helpless. At the right time, God, Christ died for us, the just for the We are helpless spiritually. I don't make myself be like Jesus. It's a gift of his spirit working in my life. What he wants me to be is be yielded to him and helpless and say, Jesus, if you don't do it, I mean, whether it's a sermon like this, Jesus, if you don't open people's ears, if you don't open my lips, if you don't open my mind to you, it's, it's a meaningless exercise. But God wants us to bring, he wants to bring us together. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must what? It's all about Jesus. Yielding before him, the cross behind me. John said, I'm not worthy to untie the thongs of his sandals. Unless Jesus does it, it will not happen. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do what? Do I believe that? No, I can make things happen. I'm a pretty powerful person. I got degrees behind my name. I've got experience behind my name. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus said apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Unless he shows up. I'm like a turtle on the fence post. Who put him there? Somebody did. That's the explanation of our lives. What I would call today, it's a, the church often has a spirituality that is devoid of humility. An utter dependence on God. That you listen for Him. You seek Him with all of your heart. Isn't that the first great commandment? To love the Lord with all, your God, all your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your physical strength. Does any one of us do that? Does any one of us fall short? Yes, we all do. So let's encourage each other to press on for the prize of the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ every year of my life. I'm about to turn 70 this year. Uh, But you know, my prayer is that every year that God gives me and Vicki and me will be that kind of a year that we're pressing on to trust Christ in our life, to see him work in us, to see him fuel us with his Holy Spirit. Now, I want to close with a second sermon, if you will. (laughs) Uh, I'll still be out here by 12, I promise. Uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, or your electronic Bible, whatever copy you have, to Genesis chapter 50, and I want to read these last five verses here. And I want to make a few comments about Joseph. Genesis 50, verse 22 and 25, or you can follow on the screens here as well. Is it on the screens? Maybe it's not. Now, Joseph stayed in Egypt, and he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. How would you like to live 110 years? Uh, Just parenthetically, I had lunch last Wednesday with Clarence, who is 106 years old. He turned 106 on Tuesday. I had lunch with him on, where are Jim and Karen? Are Jim and, uh, oh, they're out of town. I had lunch with Jim and Sandy Granberry and Clarence. And I asked Clarence at the end of our hour and a half lunch, I said, Clarence, wh- what, what do you say in response when people ask you why you live long? He said, How to, this is what, these are exact words. I have it on tape, but I don't have it here. How It's all about Jesus. If you follow Jesus every day of your life, he will take you to places you've never been, and he'll give you experiences you have never had in your life. And that's my story. That was Clarence's story. Last Thursday night, I had dinner with Orville Rogers, who is 101. At 101, Orville Rogers holds all the world record, races, record r- racing records for people in his age. That is because he says there are no more people left at 101. <laughs> But what an awesome guy. He's pressing for a new world record in the 800 meter run this summer. He runs every day. You can watch him down at the Cooper Center if you show up when he's running. So, Joseph here lived to be 110. He saw the third generation of Ephraim's son. So, there's four generations right here off the bat. You got Joseph and you got his son and you got three generations, so it's maybe five generations. He sees them born and he says in verse 24, I'm about to die but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Jacob made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt, but he's not there today. You know, he went, his coffin went with Israel to the promised land. Now, let me make three quick comments about Joseph, and I love him as an older man who finished well. Think about that. Whatever your age, number one, his theology stood the test of times when, God was, when times were good and when times were bad. Will your theology hold you through? I want to say yes, it will. Whose theology kept Joseph riveted to the rock when he was betrayed by his 12 brothers? Whose theology held Joseph to the rock when Potiphar's wife accused him unjustly and he spent 13 years in jail? Let me ask you, would your faith grow in jail? Would your faith grow when you were betrayed by your brothers and your family? Would your faith grow when you're betrayed by fellow believers for whatever reason? Who do you believe God is at work at doing in your life? through hardships that happened. Let me tell you, Joseph knew who God was and he knew his character and he knew that he redeems everything in life. As Jim Dennison said, God redeems everything he allows. So if there are bad stuff in your life, he's allowing you to go through it to conform you and me to the image of his son. Praise God. That's the mission of Jesus. He, he, in, in his obedience, he, he, he learned obedience through what he suffered, Hebrews 5.8. Jesus is our example. Joseph, secondly, on this point, he never was enamored with the country of Egypt. Are you enamored with the world? Do you know who you are so sure as a person in Christ? redeemed by his blood, filled with his spirit, that you're never enamored by the success of the world. You know, I'll just be very personal right here. They're not here so I can say this. My grandkids. And I was once like them, believe it or not. You know, I dreamed of setting records athletically. You know, their, their world, they, they love Seth Curry being out there in the West Coast. Who doesn't? I mean, he's an amazing athlete. But I must say that there's more to life than putting a basketball through a little hoop. There's a time and place for that. But the real thing is who Seth Curry relies on for the strength of his life through it all, through the ups and downs, and all athletes go through it. I pray that for my grandkids. I pray that they will learn that God is faithful in every year of their life. As little people growing up, Joseph did. He was taught something as a kid growing up, and he lived that every day of his life. May God help us raise our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids to be men of faith for four generations and five. Prof. Hendricks used to say in seminary, he said, never think how good of a job you've done as a parent until you see your grandkids and your great-grandkids. It's true. Joseph understood that. Number two, I need to move on. Joseph understood the sovereignty of God and his own failure and his own frailty. No, sorry, not his failure, his frailty. God has a purpose for him. He embraced it. He submitted himself to it. He says to our brothers in Genesis 50-20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for... Let me ask you, is it possible that through every hardship you and I ever go through, God has something good in mind for you and me, to submit to that and yield to it and embrace it? The answer is emphatically, yes, yes, yes. He did it through his son for you and for me, and he does it through his spirit in yours and my life as well. Let me go to the third point that I have here, what Joseph. Joseph left a legacy for others. And I want to add, he left a legacy of hope. For others, A lot of people despair about the world we live in. Let me tell you, a person who trusts God with his life never despairs about what's happening around him. Paul, in the middle of the Roman Empire, said, I press on for Jesus with everything in me. Let me tell you, if he were alive today, he would say, I don't care who's in Washington, I press on for Jesus because he is the victor. He's leading the parade. He's going to spread through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Do you believe that? So don't watch the news at 5 o'clock. Don't watch all the things around us that don't point us to Jesus or, better, put them in perspective with who the King of kings and Lord of lords really is and what's happening in you and me through the world in which we live. I love this little phrase. Look in verse 25. God will take care of you. He will. He'll take care of you through your death. He'll take care of you through generation after generation after generation. Joseph knew that growing up in his home with his father, I, Jacob, and Isaac, and his great-grandfather, Abraham. He knew God was working. God will never stop working in our lives. He will never stop working in us. I had a conversation with somebody here, somebody I know earlier in the first service, going through struggles in their family. I, you know, I said, you never know when God will answer that prayer. You may not be here, but let me tell you, God will answer it. So Joseph says, carry my bones up carry my bones. God's going to see us through. He's going to see you through. He's going to see my grandkids through. He's going to see your great-grandkids through, unless the Lord comes back first. But until he does take my bones to the promised land, I want everybody to know that I, pro- that I trusted a sovereign God who promised to our people that we would see the promised land, even though we're in a foreign land. Is that not Amazing. Let me tell you, that's what God's call is to us this morning. Carry the promises with you to the grave and through the grave to the other side. You know, unless, as I said, the Lord comes back first, we will all go through the grave. Just like Jesus went through the grave to the resurrection. Every one of us will go through it. And through weakness and the demise of the human body, only that way will resurrection come. And only as through his resurrection power in our lives this day will his resurrection power be displayed in us. That's our mission. That's your mission, Aaron, as a pastor. That's your mission as elders. That's your mission as a church. To hang on to Jesus. That's why we gather. I want to close with a story out of a book I have just finished recently, this year. From Eden to Paradise. It's the story of John Stuart Gilbert, who at the age of five, living in Paradise, California... Uh, This was in 88, I think it happened. Uh, He was diagnosed at the age of five with Duchenne's disease, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. If you're familiar with it, it's a disease that only male kids get. Uh, They're diagnosed around four or five that age, and their life expectancy typically is 16 years. It ravishes the human body. John, as a five-year-old kid, a vibrant, healthy kid, playing soccer, did everything else. His body starts to shrivel up. It's not long before he's bound by a wheelchair and his arms are disfigured and distorted. Interestingly, during his lifetime as a young believer, he wrote an autobiography about what God was doing in his life through this disease. Absolutely astonishing. I could not put it down. The last third of the book is written by his father as he reflected on his son's life, God's purposes in his son's disease, and in their family, and in his death. John, knowing, and by the way, he gave this book, this manuscript, to his father and mother two, weeks, two months before he died. They knew he was writing something, but they didn't know. They had never read it. He said, Dad, Mom, I'd, I'd like you to publish this. Would you consider publishing it? John, or his dad, Bruce, says it took me 10 years to get my hands around it emotionally to publish it. And here it is. I want to read you the last paragraph that John wrote to his parents. Putting his mind at their death, at his death, what would they think about at his funeral? When they gathered to remember their son's life, how would they think? I mean, that's Joseph. Take my bones to Egypt. I want to remind you of my faith in God. Very moving for me. Listen to John's words. I've often thought about this time for you, the time of my death, and what you'll think. It has left me going to sleep with a few tears many nights. I can't imagine. Part of me just wished I could fix everything you feel right now. But I know nothing I can say will do that. All I know is that even though none of us is in control, God is. Take my bones to uh, to the promised land, Joseph says. I hope before too long that you can gain some good perspective on what has finally happened to me. Maybe a trip to Israel would help and you can be there where Jesus was while I am here where Jesus is. I love that line. It isn't just a quaint saying. I really, am off, I really am better off now, John says. I hope someday instead of getting angry about that, you can celebrate it. I hope you can picture me not the way I left, but as what I've become. You know, when people make you angry or upset, what does it do? Can you just send up a quick prayer? God, I know what that you're doing in that person's life, and I pray for them. I want to see them more like Jesus rather than be angry at them. Whenever you see a movie about Jesus healing a lame man, try to realize that is exactly what has happened to me in every way. This old world isn't going to have a Gilbert to kick around anymore. I know you would like very much to see for yourself that this has been given to me. Someday, parentheses, and I hope it's not very far in the future with lots of happy, healthy new family to enjoy in the meantime with you, you will see me and receive it all for yourself. So just be a little patient. I love you each very much. That's Joseph. That's Daniel. That's David. That, my friends, is Jesus. Who has bound us to himself to grow in him every day. And to be a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him. My beloved pastor at First Baptist Church used to close every service when he made his statement. He would raise his hand, white-haired, W.A. Criswell, and he'd say, that's all of us. Is that all of us? Say amen. Amen. That's our mission. Now, I want to close the service differently than I did in the first service. Uh, Where is our pianist? Right here? Travis? I asked. I mean, those songs were about the faithfulness of God. And one of my favorite hymns is the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, O God, my Father. You know, I, I want us just to stand and sing that. And I want to pray before we do. So stand now, please. I want to pray for us, and then I want us to sing that, just the first verse of that hymn together. And that's, that's our conviction. God is faithful to every generation, again and again and again. And again and again, carry my bones to the promised land, Joseph says, because I want to be where God promised that we all will be. So I want to pray for you. I'm gonna close with the ironic benediction. I want to pray and then we'll sing together. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make His face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. (laughs) The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Lord, I pray that you will continue to work. You've begun here at DBC. Continue through Aaron and Kat and the elders and the people of yours who are bound to you as they travel through this life, their homes, their places of work, this community, their schools. I pray that they will never be enamored by Egypt. I pray that we will always see our place in you
1: forever and ever.
2: I pray that we'll never forget your faithfulness and that morning by morning, you are good. You're working out your purpose in our life. Through the person of Jesus, your son, and to him we give our lives this day. The best is yet to be. In Jesus' name we pray.